Hi, kids. How's everybody doing? Uh, it is time for episode two of my podcast, Hawk Droppings. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming back and listening to uh, another episode. I appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed. Uh, that means a lot to me. It, it just means the world to me. I appreciate it immensely. Uh, thank you for sticking around. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about, uh, broadly, we're going to talk about the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, which covers Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And it, and we're going to talk about a couple of the uh, federal district courts within that circuit. So when, when you hear me use district circuit, the district courts at the federal level are the trial court levels. That's where you're going to have actual trials that involve juries or bench trials uh, where witnesses are going to testify. Uh, evidence is going to be introduced. Uh, a jury is going to deliberate. They're going to come to a verdict, whether it's a criminal or a civil case. Those are the district court levels. That's basically like the equivalent of like your county court at the state level, the trial courts. Um, at the federal level, if a district court ruling or decision uh, is going to be appealed, then it goes up to the circuit level. And this, each there are 13 circuits across the United States. Uh, and each circuit, uh, you know, encompasses like three or four states, uh, depending on the geography and the population. And so the Fifth Circuit, which is one of the most conservative uh, circuits in the country, uh, covers Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. And of the 15 or 16 uh, currently active judges on that bench, I think only two of them were appointed by Democrats. Uh, six of them were appointed by Donald Trump. So we've got that going for us, which is nice. Then there are another eight or 10 judges at kind of the senior status level where it's like they haven't retired, but they basically work like half time. Uh, but they have a tremendous amount of experience. And a couple of those folks were appointed, you know, going back to Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. Um, so that's a little bit of an overview of the Fifth Circuit. And then we're going to we're going to talk about a, a court within the Fifth Circuit that is in the northern district of Texas, which in company, uh, encompasses like 20 or 30 uh counties within Texas. So you've got the district court level with the trials, the circuit court, the appeals. The only court that's above the circuit courts is the United States Supreme Court. So we're going to start off by talking about a case that is currently pending in the United States Supreme Court that came from an appellate decision that was written in the Fifth Circuit. Uh, the case is Security and Exchange Commission v. Jarksy, and that is spelled J-A-R-K-E-S-Y. And before I get into the specifics of the case, let's. One of the main things that people on the right hate is the administrative state. You hear Donald Trump refer to it as the deep state. And you've heard Steve Bannon say things like, you know, I want to destroy the administrative state. Okay, well, what, what's the administrative state? It's part of the executive branch. 
So we have three branches of government in our country. We have the legislative, which is the Congress, the House and the Senate. We have the judiciary, uh, which is the court system, uh, the district circuit Supreme, uh, and Supreme Courts uh, across the country. Uh, and then we have the executive branch. The role of the executive branch is to execute the laws that are passed by the legislative branch, which sometimes need to be interpreted by the judicial branch, the judiciary, per Marbury v. Madison. Um, that's an inside law school joke. So Republicans don't like the administrative state. Why? Because the administrative state comes up with and enforces regulations. And they look at regulations as infringing upon their freedoms. Uh, which along those lines, one of the one of one of the agencies that they hate the most is the ATF, which regulates guns and enforces regulations on guns. Uh, the ATF is constantly on the receiving end of litigation uh, from groups like the NRA and similar groups anytime it tries to pass a new regulation and then tries to enforce it. Um, recently, there was a ton of litigation around these things called bump stocks. A bump stock is something you can replace the stock, which is the part that goes up against your shoulder and the, and the grip. Uh, on And this is a gross oversimplification, so any of the gun people just don't bother coming into my comments. I'm trying to explain this to people who don't know anything at all about guns. It's a part that you can put on your gun that in that if you alter the way you fire it a little bit, can effectively turn that type of a weapon into a machine gun, a very rapid fire uh, kind of weapon. But it's not a mechanical piece. And by itself, it doesn't fire bullets. However, the ATF passed some regulations banning bump stocks, which had been for sale legally across the United States for many years. They had basically just been kind of unregulated. It was kind of an example of an invention or technology getting ahead of the regulations. So ATF got sued. Um, and the main argument was you're take you're going to turn tens of thousands of Americans who have already purchased these things you're, before this regulation came out. You're going to instantly turn tens of thousands of Americans, law-abiding Americans, into felons. And so that's kind of an example, like kind of. But they also hate, you know, the IRS. Uh, they hate the Securities and Exchange Commission. They don't like the Federal Election Commission. They really don't like the Environmental Protection Agency. They don't like OSHA. They don't like the Department of Education because it's indoctrinating our kids. Uh, and on, the list goes on and on and on. I mean, any anything that you can think about. Um, you, you know, they 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 don't like they don't like the FDA, the Food and Drug administration because they keep doing things like approving uh, the morning after pill and plan B in mifepristone abortion medication. And, you know, but at the same time, at the same time, you know, they want religion back in every single classroom. 
uh, and stuff like that. And they want a nationwide abortion ban. Uh, so there's some regulations they like, but only the ones that they want. And so this case, Security and Exchange Commission versus Jerksy, has the potential to gut the regulation and enforcement capacities of departments and agencies within the executive branch. It would essentially render most potentially most of the executive branch toothless and unable to put forth regulations anymore. And it would take away their ability to enforce the regulations that they already had put forward. It, it would create a level of havoc in the United States that we can't possibly fathom, that we can't possibly imagine. I mean, think about every safety regulation in, the, in this country just going away. You know, think about the FDA not being able to enforce any of its regulations on drug manufacturers or on medical equipment manufacturers. It's insane. It's completely insane to think about. It's like, you know, I live in San Francisco. We have a lot of regulations in San Francisco. It's damn near impossible to build residential housing in San Francisco. It can take a decade because we have so many goddamn regulations out here. So it's like, on the one hand, I understand what they're talking about. But to me, when you're talking about building codes and inspection schedules for building a house, that's different than are the drugs we're going to give to our kids going to be safe? Or what quality is the beef that we're going to buy in the grocery store? Is it ever going to be inspected? Are there going to be any safety regulations? Those things are just kind of fundamentally different to me, I think, as they are to most reasonable people. Um, and when I say reasonable people, I'm obviously not referring to Republicans, the same people who get we the people tattooed on their forearms and shall not be infringed tattooed on one of their butt cheeks when they're talking about the Second Amendment. And I say that as a gun owner. Um, anyway, so this case involves... Uh, a guy who, he was a right-wing activist, a conservative talk show host, and he weirdly also ran a pair of investment funds that had about 25 million bucks in assets. He misrepresented how the funds were run. He paid him and his, uh, himself, he paid himself and his partner exorbitant fees. He swindled, uh, he swindled the, the, the investors in the funds. And then the SEC swooped in, the Security and Exchange Commission swooped in, investigated him, uh, fined him several hundred thousand dollars and prohibited, from, it prohibited him from working in parts of the securities uh, market, the industry. Very standard stuff, stuff they've been doing since they were founded in like 1932, following the Great, the, the Great Depression and the crash of the stock market. That's why the SEC was founded by Congress. And that's why Congress delegated the power to the SEC it did when the SEC was founded so that they could prevent another stock market crash like 1929 and hopefully thereby prevent another Great Depression that came immediately after. So reasonable goals, okay? Reasonable goals. And, and Congress created the Securities and Exchange Commission 
with those goals in mind and delegated enough power to the SEC so that the SEC could do the things that it needed to do to prevent another stock market crash and prevent another Great Depression. Okay, sounds fine. Sounds reasonable. Mr. Jarksy, however, he didn't just contest what the SEC, the, the, the penalties that the SEC had imposed on him. He sued them. And he alleged that the Security and Exchange Commission's entire process against him was unconstitutional. The entire thing. Regulating him and enforcing those regulations against him. He said, all of that is unconstitutional. Among other things, he asserted that Congress never had the authority to empower the SEC and that the SEC adjudicator, investigator, who had punished him was too independent from presidential control, meaning the president runs the executive branch and this guy had too much freedom from the president, which neither the president nor Congress has the time to come up with specific financial regulations because they don't understand the financial markets. That's why they delegated power to the SEC. And that's why the SEC hires people who knows how to do these things with experience in the markets or with experience in government at the treasury to write the regulations that they write. Do they get it right hundred percent of the time? Absolutely not. No agency does. Um, but the flip side of just not having a security and exchange commission there'd be a Bernie Madoff on every corner. Uh, there, there just would be. So here's where the fun part starts. In May of last year, Jarksy's case was heard by a three-judge panel out of the Fifth Circuit that we've been talking about, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And his arguments were accepted by two of the three judges on that panel. In a two-to-one decision, the court agreed with Jarksy, all but ruling the SEC's entire existence unconstitutional. The opinion was so extreme that the third judge, Judge Eugene Davis, who was appointed by Republican presidents, dissented with them vigorously. They essentially said, the, they stopped just short of saying the existence of the Security and Exchange Commission is unconstitutional, regardless of what it does. They're like, you can't even have it. <laughs> so now you're starting to get some kind of an idea about the kind of judges that we have in the Fifth Circuit. They're crazy. So, And he made this argument about non-delegation, basically that Congress never had the power in the first place to delegate to an agency like the SEC, the power that Congress did delegate to that agency because uh, it gives away a core legislative function of Congress and Congress can't do that under the Constitution. And doing so is unconstitutional. And so, however, <laughs> that type of delegation of power from Congress to uh, federal agencies has over a hundred year history of being upheld by the courts in the United States. Fifth circuit didn't like that. So they're just like, eh, nope, 
we agree with him. And the Fifth Circuit also concluded that Congress had acted unconstitutionally and without an intelligible principle by letting the SEC choose where and when and against whom to bring its enforcement actions. Well, that's like with any prosecutor. Any prosecutor has discretion over who they prosecute and what charges they bring against which individuals. That prosecutorial independence, even though it gets abused a lot, and and I saw that quite a bit when I was doing criminal defense over 20 years ago, but it's critical to prosecutors being able to do their jobs. And it's the same principle here. And so that principle has been recognized by decade for decades by federal courts and by the Supreme Court. And the Fifth Circuit's just like, nope, out. And when I first heard that the Supreme Court was taking this case up on appeal, um, I was really concerned. I was really, really concerned because I was like, oh, they and they still could. They still could rule the wrong way. The only thing that's given me a little bit of hope is like what I said during the last term, the 2022 into 2023 term of the nine cases the Supreme Court heard coming out of the Fifth Circuit last term, they overturned seven of them. They reversed seven of those decisions. And one of the things that the Fifth Circuit does so much, they've, they've kind of bastardized this dumb legal theory that its biggest proponent, I guess, would be former Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, originalism. And that theory is, well, you have to look to the original language of the Constitution and the original intent of the framers of the Constitution. Well, half of them were slave owners. Okay? And they didn't want women to be able to vote. And they wanted voting to be reserved for white men who owned property. So are we going with those? That set of intentions from the founding fathers? It, that's, that's how much time it takes to dismantle originalism. Originalism is stupid. It's stupid. It doesn't allow for anything in this country that has come into existence after like 1805. It, it's just so dumb. Um, but it's, you know, to some extent in the, in the handgun uh, concealed carry permit that the court came out with a year ago, June, the Bruin case out of New York, you, you know, they basically made an originalism arg- argument. The court did when they basically said that every state and every county in the United States has to permit people to carry handguns in self-defense outside of their home. They found that for the first time in 250 years to be a constitutional right because they found that any regulation against that has to be reasonably connected through history back to regulations on handguns from like 200 years ago. And anybody with an IQ over 70 read that decision, they were like, oh, cool, they're just making shit up now? Yeah, they're just making shit up now? Okay, cool. It was right around the time, right, right around that same time 
that the court came out with the Dobbs decision overturning Roe versus Wade, the majority opinion of which was which was written by Samuel Alito, who, you know, cited people who fought witchcraft in the 1400s as precedent for abortion law in the United States in 2023. So, yeah, the Supreme Court's really been firing on all intellectual cylinders lately. Um, but again, like I said, it's like even the Fifth Circuit's bullshit is too much for these guys on the current Supreme Court. And, you know, the, the whole originalism thing is super popular with the Federalist Society and almost all of the judges on the Fifth Circuit come from the Federalist Society. And, you know, originalism basically it first emerged as a word and a concept and, and an idea uh, during the 1950s uh, in the United States, specifically after the Supreme Court decision of Brown v. Board of Education, which was about race and desegregation. Once the Supreme Court starts desegregating public schools, then everybody's like, oh, oh God, uh, originalism. Let's go with originalism. There's nothing in the Constitution about desegregation. Yeah, the Constitution says that those students that you're trying to let into all white public schools are three fifths of a human being. That's what the Constitution says. Are we going with that originalism? Again, that's how stupid originalism is. It's a bullshit made up legal theory that conservatives love because it's based in segregation, basically. Uh, and it allows them to make dumb arguments like, well, if this regulation didn't exist 200 years ago, it can't exist now. So sorry. It's just silly. So, you know, again, I mean, the Supreme Court heard arguments on this case, the Jarxy case earlier today, Wednesday, November 29th. I have very mixed emotions about it uh, because on the one hand, they overturn the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals about 80% of the time. On the other hand, there are a lot of justices on this court that don't like the administrative state or regulation, which reminds me, one of those judges is uh, the first judge who was appointed to the court by Donald Trump, a guy named Neil Gorsuch. Why doesn't he like the administrative state? Well, uh, when he was younger, about 40 years ago, Ronald Reagan uh, appointed Neil Gorsuch's mom to run the Environmental Protection Agency, basically with the edict of destroying it, doing away with all of its regulatory capabilities, uh, doing away with as many of its regulations as you can, basically turn it into a toothless tiger that doesn't bother people anymore. And, well, she engaged in a little tomfoolery when she was doing that. And by the end of her tenure at the Environmental Protection Agency, was basically given a choice of resign or you're going to be prosecuted for a bunch of stuff. And so she resigned in humiliation and disgrace. And, and now Neil Gorsuch wants revenge for his mommy against the administrative state. And so that's where we're at with that. Uh, you know, a Supreme Court justice wants revenge for his mommy against the Environmental Protection Agency. And here we are. <laughs> oh, God. OK, so that's one case out of the Fifth Circuit that's pending before the Supreme Court right now. 
that could alter every single thing about the entire federal government that's not the legislative branch or the judiciary. It could alter everything, everything. When you think about the potential scope for this decision, if the court decides the wrong way, it's it's really hard to contemplate how bad this could be. Um, so I would imagine we'll get a decision on that in maybe June or something like that. All right, now let's talk about the Fifth Circuit more broadly and, and, and some of their chicanery that they engage in, uh, their balderdash and horse hockey. They, you know, there, there was a case recently about whether a class action could go forward uh, that boiled down to a dispute among three Fifth Circuit judges over the meaning of a Bible verse. Seems reasonable. There's a case in which the Fifth Circuit allowed three doctors to sue the FDA over a tweet encouraged to discourage ivermectin use that read, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, seriously, y'all, stop it. There was another case in which the Fifth Circuit barred the Biden administration from requiring naval SEALs, naval, Navy SEALs, to be vaccinated against COVID because religious liberty means more than military readiness. Cool. There's also a case in which the Fifth Circuit held that the way Congress funds the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, an agency that promulgates regulations and then enforces them, is unconstitutional because Congress only imposed a limit on its funding without imposing a specific figure for its funding. The Fifth Circuit has also meddled in immigration policy to a huge extent and has basically said that, you know, its individual district judges are, are better situation, situated to supervise and direct federal immigration policy than the president of the United States or anyone in the executive branch. Judges. Cool. All right. Um, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. And it, it, so here's part of why I think the Fifth Circuit has started going so far off the rails uh, in recent years is because Republican presidents have focused so heavily on putting so many of their judges in the Fifth Circuit and right above it in Arkansas in the Sixth Circuit, which runs all the way up to Minnesota, the, you know, basically the two most conservative circuits in the country. But the Fifth Circuit also has the added benefit of being crazy. <laughs> They're nuts and they don't care. And I'll talk about this in a minute. They don't give a damn what the Supreme Court has to say about anything that they do. They don't care about the Supreme Court. They don't care that they get overturned 80% of the time. It doesn't matter to them because they're standing up for what's right. Um, Right-wing litigants, litigants are now intentionally filing cases somewhere in the Fifth Circuit so that they get this Court of Appeals, so that they get decisions that they want. Uh, because they know that a lot of the district judges and specifically the court of appeal judges 
our right wing nut jobs. And we're going to talk about one of those out of Texas in here in a few minutes. You know, um, it, you know, and so what they're basically in, 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 in a lot of the decisions that they're, that are coming out of the fifth circuit court of appeal, they're just changing the rules. They're changing the rules, uh, on like the, just the basic requirements of things like standing, uh, Standing means that you have to have a case or controversy. It means you got to have skin in the game relative to the lawsuit that you're filing. Okay. And as an example, if I think that there was voter fraud in Pennsylvania and I live in San Francisco, California, I can't file a lawsuit against the state of Pennsylvania about their voting practices. I don't live in Pennsylvania. I don't have any skin in the game. I'm not affected one way or the other. I could make a tiny argument that I'm affected, but I'm not affected enough that I would have standing to bring that kind of a case. You know, you basically, you have to have some kind of an injury uh, in, in order to sue. Eh, not really so much in the Fifth Circuit. They skirt, they skirt the rules on standing all the time, man. And famously, in one of the cases where that occurred, Ken Paxton, the attorney general for the state of Texas, shortly after the 2020 election, he filed a lawsuit against, I don't know, eight or nine swing states or something, none of, none of whom were Texas. He was all Pennsylvania, Mich Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, you know, states like that saying that there was voter fraud. And that impacts us here in, 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 in Texas because now we're, because they all committed voter fraud, we're not going to get the president that we voted for. And fortunately, the courts were like, um, Mr. Paxton, are you high? <laughs> and in that case, it went nowhere um, because he didn't have standing. Okay. That's the overall point. He didn't have standing. And the Fifth Circuit, finds a lot of people, a lot of plaintiffs who they're sympathetic with to have standing going against decades of court precedent on that issue. And I'm, I'm harping on the issue of standing a lot because if you don't have standing, you don't get inside the courtroom door. You don't even get in the door for them to hear your argument. Federal courts, and especially the Supreme Court, they take the issue of standing very, very, very seriously. If you don't have standing, you don't get in the building, period. And the Fifth Circuit is like, eh, yeah, yeah, they got standing. That's yeah, fine. That's fine. And they just kind of gloss over that a lot of times. And it's ridiculous. Is That's the word I was looking for. Um, you know, one of the recent cases that they heard uh, that was heard, well, strike that. Let me rephrase that. Another recent opinion that came out of the Fifth Circuit uh, was in the case of United States versus Rahimi. And this appeal was just heard by the United States Supreme Court, I think within the last month. And a three-judge panel in the Fifth Circuit struck down a federal law banning people subject to domestic violence restraining orders from possessing firearms. The Fifth Circuit 
thinks that people have domestic violence restraining orders against them should be able to keep their guns. Fortunately, at oral argument on that case uh, last month, even this conservative Supreme Court was like, mm, uh, not sure we're on board with that. So I'm, I'm hopeful and relatively kind of sort of confident that that law is going to remain in place, which, you know, I mean, how many thousands of women are murdered by their partners or their husbands or their boyfriends or stalkers every year? And how many of those murders happen with handguns? So this court is a crazy, insane activist court. They're just nuts. And they constantly say things like, you know, this agency has overreached and we need to return this power back to the Congress. And they're not returning anything to Congress. I mean, they had one case where it said one especially notorious example of the, is the court's conclusion that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission lacks the statutory power to promulgate rules for the temporary storage of spent nuclear fuel. The Fifth Circuit determined that the power to promulgate, rule, promulgate rules for the temporary storage of spent nuclear fuel should be returned to Congress. Who, 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 who in Congress is going to do that? Who is going to do that? Paul Gosar from Arizona, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Is Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert going to come up with rules for the temporary storage of spent nuclear fuel? So when they say they're returning power uh, to the government, they're lying. <laughs> they just want to frustrate federal regulation altogether. So let's talk about one particular judge who is in the Northern District of Texas, which is within the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, 46 years old. He was appointed by Donald Trump in June of 2019. Uh, he, in the Northern District, he is in, I believe he is in Amarillo, Texas. And in that district, he is the only judge. So if you're filing a civil lawsuit in that Northern District of Texas, your judge is going to be Judge Matthew Kaczmarek. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek considers him he's a member of the Federalist Society. Uh, I'll just read you some of his thoughts on things. Uh, he spent his career uh, before this position uh, doing absolutely everything he can to oppose any LGBTQ rights, LGBTQ marriage. Uh, he thinks that LGBTQ sexual activities should be criminalized. Uh, he, don't, he doesn't think that LGBTQ community members should have any protections in housing, employment, and health care. He believes that homosexuality is a disorder, and he thinks being transgender is a delusion and a mental disorder. Uh, he opposes uh, the court's finding in Roe versus Wade. He believes that there should be a nationwide abortion ban, uh, and he is also the judge who issued an initial injunction to remove uh, the abortion medication mifepristone from 
the markets across the entire United States uh, earlier this year. So he's just a normal, fun, everyday American who hates everybody who's not a straight, white, Christian man. Um, somehow he, which he has information he has tried to hide uh, from public view, somehow he's worth between 5 and $25 million. I don't know how. Uh, he and his wife uh, have five children. And interestingly, uh, they had a sixth child who was stillborn. So not sure what kind of medical care his wife had to receive relative to that. And if that medical care could in any way be classified as abortion or abortion related medical care for that stillborn child, which is obviously a tragedy. Um, but he just, so in speaking of that Mifepristone lawsuit, lawsuit, we're going to talk about a little bit. The organization that filed that lawsuit is an organization called Alliance Defending Freedom, which was founded, uh, I think, around like 1992, 93, something like that, uh, by six men who were uh, members of the religious right, including guys like James Dobson, uh, and another guy named Bill Bright, who does this whole campus crusade for Christ thing. Um, they, they founded that organization mainly to go up against the American Civil Liberties Union, which they felt was eroding Christian values across the United States of America. Yeah. And they have, they have offices in like 100 different countries. Uh, they set up an office in Amarillo, Texas, after Judge Matthew Kaczmarek uh, was appointed to the bench in Amarillo, Texas, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom set up an office in the same town uh, so that they could file their lawsuit against Mifepristone in his court, which they did. And he ruled exactly the way that they wanted to, ignoring every piece of science uh, from FDA scientists, doctors, and medical personnel, uh, which had been presented to the court through attorneys, uh, arguing uh, uh, from the Justice Department, arguing on behalf of the FDA. And he used a tremendous amount of language in his order uh, removing Mifepristone from the market. He used a tremendous amount of language that comes directly from anti-abortion movements in the United States, of which he has been a part for many, many, many years. Um. I think that's it for him. But, you know, and part of, the, part of the scientific evidence that was presented to the court in that trial in front of Judge Kaczmarek is that mifepristone, when used properly, is safer and has fewer side effects than Tylenol. And the judge, obviously, is not a scientist. He's not a doctor. He's like, no, I'm going with these guys over here who moved their office to Amarillo so they could file this thing in, in my court and give me the opportunity to take Mifepristone off the market. This was after the Dobbs decision 
from a year and a half ago, overturning Roe versus Wade. You know, when when Republicans were like, oh, send it back to the states, send it back to the states, send it back to the states. Then Judge Kaczmarek wants to remove Mifepristone from the entire country, nationwide ban. And all the Republican candidates running for president right now are talking about a six-week abortion ban nationwide. Return it to the states? Eh, maybe not. We're going to take that away from everybody. And... So it's like, that's the kind of stuff that comes out of the Fifth Circuit. That's the kind of stuff that comes from trial judges in the Fifth Circuit. And hopefully, uh, with that first case that I talked about, the Supreme Court will continue its pattern of overturning 80% of the rulings that come out of the Fifth Circuit and don't completely gut the executive branch of the United States government. How long are we going to last without an FDA? <laughs> no food inspections, no drug regulations. Woohoo! <laughs> it'd be it'd be like be like riding Magic Mountain in Disney World with no fucking harness. <laughs> Hang on, kids. <laughs> oh God, I shouldn't laugh, but it's like it's everything is just getting so completely absurd, and they are doing. All of these things, they're doing every single one of these things in the name of little baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus and freedom. Freedom to what? Die when you're 40? I, it's just These people's minds are so broken and so warped, and they're so goddamn terrified of becoming a minority in the United States that they're just losing their minds. Their minds are just gone. Um, it, it's terrifying. It's, I just, I don't like living through history. I really don't. And this history, frankly, for like the last seven years has just been shitty. I'm tired of living through shitty history. It's shitty history, man. I'm tired of living through it. And, and it's like, and, and I'm going to bear the least consequences of just about any other demographic group in this country. Because I'm a straight, cisgendered, heterosexual, white man, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, well, blondish. I, I mean, whatever. Maybe if I wash it, it'll be blonde again. <laughs> you know, six foot tall with a law degree. And I recognize my privilege. And I try to use the privilege that I recognize that I have to speak up for people who don't have the privilege that I have. And that includes women and black and brown women. You know, by talking about things like this Mifepristone bullshit out of Amarillo, Texas. Fortunately, when that decision went to the Fifth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit dialed a lot of it back and left Mifepristone on the market. But they kept in some restrictions in place that limited some of its use nationwide because it's used for a lot more things than just abortion. And then again in something that shocked the hell out of me, this current Supreme Court lifted all restrictions on Mifepristone and left it the way that it was before this lawsuit was even filed, deferring almost entirely to the FDA and their approval process that had taken place like 23 years ago. And so it's a slight ray of sunshine in that regard, you know, but it's like, I'm also, I'm also tired I've been an attorney for over 24 years and 
with the courts that we've had over the last five or six years, I'm I'm tired. I'm tired of just being pleasantly surprised when they do the right thing. You, you know, I'm tired of feeling like, wow, that's surprising when they do the right thing. It's I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I am fried and exhausted. Um, so anyway. Uh, that concludes episode two of Hawk Droppings. Um, hopefully by the time this is up, uh, our merch store will be live. So please check out our merch store. We got a lot of cool stuff in there that I think you guys are really going to enjoy uh, in time for the holidays. And, you know, as always there on the page where my podcasts are, there's a link to uh, my TikTok page and there's also a link to my YouTube page. Um, so Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it very much. And I will see you all next time. 